You're listening to the Young Adult Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, challenge you, and lead you closer to Jesus. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy. All right, so last week we were not meeting here because we did an awesome event for the church uh, where uh, you guys served, and we put on a Valentine's Day event for uh, them. And when I say them, I mean me and my wife. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, Olive Garden was great, and we got to paint and play games, and it was a blast. And I uh, just want to say thank you guys for that. Uh, the week before, Kel kind of started this new series called What is Love, Baby, Don't Hurt Me? And he kind of uh, talked through this, his, his interpretation of John 10 uh, and, and walked through what, what is love. And so tonight, well, I am going to pick up that theme also with John, but we're in 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, if you don't know where that is. It's in the New Testament and kind of go more towards the end, uh, 1 John chapter 4. And, and as, you're, as you're finding that, I want to kind of set the premise up. So when I heard this theme, I thought to myself, what is love? What is love? And I kind of thought, that's a, that's a very good question. The next part, Baby, don't hurt me, I think is just humorous. The first part of it is actually a very good philosophical question that I think deserves answering. Because I think, and, and, I, and by think, as I survey what the current, and, and I don't even think this is current. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop pulling that card because I don't think it's just, I think this is through history. Through history, as we look back on what the world defines as love, it is drastically different than what we see in Scripture. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let's just take a look because we all understand what, we, what we're currently seeing in culture, what we see going on in the world, and how the world might interpret the question, what is love? And, and I can beat a dead horse, and, and I can kind of drag through all these examples, but the reality is I think you guys get it. I think that you guys, without me going into the explicit examples, understand that our world defines love in a very particular set of terms. Now, now just like in Greek, you know, there's a difference between agape, philo, and eros. There's a, there's a difference. And a lot of times and when, when we're talking about how we understand love, it's different than the way that the world understands love. But I think that we understand all of those kinds of love. I think that when we look around the world and when, when we hear things like sex sells, we understand this eros kind of love, this erotic love. That when, when, when you get into a fresh relationship and you're so attracted to that person, I think you understand this feeling that you get, that you feel attracted to them. It's a love. Yes, and I, and I, think that, and I don't want to take that away because I think it's real. I, I'm not going to say that's fake. I, I just think it's cheap compared to agape. And then the same thing goes with friends. I think we've all can say we've had friends that we love. I, I, I genuinely love friends that I've had my whole life. But it's not the same as a kind of love that God has for me and that I have for God. 
That's a different kind of love. And so when we, when we look around and, and the world doesn't understand agape, they only see this love with friends and this sexual love. And so they define love in those terms. And in today's relativistic culture, literally love can mean whatever you want it to mean. To whoever you want it to mean, however you want to mean, whenever you want it to mean, that is what, what does love mean to you? And you get to interpret love however you want to, whatever makes you feel the best about yourself. In 1 John, I think that we see a different picture. This last week, I, uh, I went down and uh, took my family down there. And this is a humble brag. We went to Disneyland. I know that's a humble brag, but we went to Disneyland. It was awesome. Uh, we stopped. My, my little brother, uh, he lives in Long Beach. And so we took our family. We went there on Wednesday night, and we stayed with them. And I got into this discussion with my little brother's wife. His, his, his wife was, was hey, she asked me, hey, Josh, would you marry Somebody who, one of them is a non-Christian and the other one is a Christian. And I was like, no. And uh, that makes me look like the bad guy. I'm like, whoa. I, I, she got really mad at me and she's like, well, you're wrong. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean I'm wrong? And, and so we had this really good back and forth. And really what it came out was she works at this church in Long Beach that I used to work at. And there's this couple who, who one of them is a Christian, the other one's not. And, and they came up to the, to the pastor and they're like, hey, can you marry us at the church? And he's like, no. And so uh, she's like, I just don't get it. Like, like their feelings are hurt. Like, like they're going to get married anyways. Like, why not just let it happen? And, and I walked through. I said, well, how did it happen? Like, what does that look like for that conversation? She's like, well, they came and asked. And he said, no. I was like, are you sure that's how it happened? She's like, yes. I was like, well, let me tell you what I would have done and, and, and how I would have had that conversation. Because I, I think there's a difference between what is black and white and this gray area where we, where we do have some, some kind of conversation around how we do things. That doesn't change the black and whiteness of what is right and what is wrong. And what she's actually mad at is how it came to be. Because the pastor was just like, no, it doesn't matter. But as I was walking through and I was lovingly saying, hey, let's see, maybe, maybe I would, we can do some marriage counseling and, and, and maybe if, if part of that process you become a believer, then maybe, and, and if you're open to that, because it turns out the person is open to being a believer, maybe it would be a perfectly good thing to walk through with them. But because of this no, it made the black and white seem gray and the gray seem black and white. As we go to First John today, I want us to understand this concept or this idea of what is love. So if you're already there, awesome. We're going to start in chapter chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved. The word there in Greek, agape. Let us agape one another, for agape is from God, and whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God because God is agape. God is love. Now, this command sets the stage for our understanding. 
For us to truly be born of God, we must love. And John actually spends some time here clarifying, okay, if what it means to be born again to be Christian means that we, are, we ought to love, then the question is, what is love? And it might seem oversimplistic, but I don't want you to miss it, because I think it is actually this simple. Because John's answer is, God is love. And I think that, that the simplicity of that is also what makes this so difficult. Because if we miss it, we miss the richness of what this means. That means when we ask the question, what is love? The answer is God. That we cannot understand love without understanding who God is. We cannot fully or truly understand what love is apart from God. Literally, God is the definition of love. And so if we look through history, if we look into the character of God, what God is, who God is, the answer is love. And if you're here and you're thinking, okay, Josh, that, that sounds good, but what about all the pain and suffering? What, what about all the, the hard things in life? Is that, is that love? That how, how, do we, how do we balance this idea of, of there's so much bad and evil and, and wrong things in this world? And, and here we see God is love. Literally saying that he is the definition of love. And I think that this is really, really hard for our generation specifically. But I think that as time progresses... When, when everything is relative, nothing is absolute. And yet in Scripture, what we see is that God is the definition of love. And so it doesn't matter how we feel, what our experience might be. Because if we truly want to understand what real love is, we look to one place. God. And he goes on. Verse 9. In this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfect in us. Okay, so let's go one step deeper. God is the definition of love. And, it, and that, that is like, holy moly, that's a, that's a big statement. But then John defines it a little bit more. Look at what God did. Okay, God, God is not just some God who's like, I am love and you will obey me no matter what. He's not some overlord who's just far removed from us and kind of playing us as puppets. No. God said, you want to know what love is? I'm going to demonstrate it to you. The God of the universe, the God that spoke creation into being, that same God came as a little tiny baby boy, grew up, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose three days later. 
God. Not just some man, not just a good guy, God. God died as a propitiation because of you, because of you, because of me, because of my sins. God died on the cross. That's what love is. Love is not about me. If we want to know what love is, stop looking about how it makes me feel, what I feel good about. It's not about me. True love, agape love, is about you. It's about others. It's about sacrifice. And God demonstrated his love for us in a beautiful, amazing way that he sacrificed himself so that we may have life in him. And and I think that this is so elementarily true that we organically understand this to be, to be the case because there's it's totally different to feel attracted and to have like a good friend that you like and to feel this kind of love. So this is going to be embarrassing but uh me and my wife watch way too much TV. It's like an embarrassingly amount of too much TV. And so our routine is like like we kind of get the girls to bed and when when we're free at home for the night, we we get them to bed and we're like, "Okay, what should we watch?" <laughs> and so so we we get comfortable, we we sit there and I I'm telling you this, you can ask her later, but the the reality is this. She feels loved and I feel annoyed every single time this happens, because it happens several times every single time we, we go to watch a show or a movie. She will, in the middle, not once or twice, but like three or five times, will be like, hey, Josh? Yes. Like, I just got comfortable. I'm just like, yes, this is awesome. Get into the, can you go get me a, a, a sparkly water? I'm like, what? The movie's getting good. Like, like for her, like she feels loved when I am like serving her. When I'm saying like, I, Josh, I know you want to watch this, but like you, I want you to go do this thing for me. She feels so loved in that. And that's a silly little way. But I think if you're being honest with yourselves, you would also acknowledge, man, there's something different about that love when you've received it and when you've given it to others. When it's not about you, but it's about somebody else. This last, this last week when we went to, to Disneyland, uh, me and Sawyer actually talked about this too. Something that was cool was we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And our five-year-old is pretty selfish, if I'm being honest with you. She's very, very strange, but kind of selfish. Our three-year-old is just becoming uh, aware of her existence. And uh, she is a blast. She's actually hilarious. But we were telling her, we're going to go to Disneyland. Isn't that exciting? She's like, ah! and, and we're like, what is it? She's like, ah, it's the park. Nope. Uh, so she had like no idea what we were getting into, but Sayla had some kind of vague memory because we had taken her, there, taken her there several times. And so she had a vague idea, like Sawyer was trying to show him videos of what it's going to be like, but Rowan had no idea. But something that was amazing was my five-year-old, like the whole weekend, because it was my daughter's birthday on Saturday, and so we kept on telling Rowan, hey, we're going for your birthday. Like, this is going to be a cool big thing. We're going for your birthday. And, like, the whole time we were there, Sayla was, like, 
Rowan, it's your birthday. What do you want to do for your birthday? This is like, like really like giving her so much love because it was her birthday. Like she really valued her little sister in such a cool way. And me and Sarah were like, where did that come from? Like she's not usually like that. But like there's something in her that like loved her so much while we were there that she like wanted to do that for her. And it was beautiful. Picking up in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is Love, And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's this beautiful text. What, what John is trying to get us to understand is, it's pretty simple, and yet it's, it's uniquely beautiful. If we truly understand what God has done for us, if we truly understand what love is, that God is the definition of love, a very easy, palpable way that we will understand that is by sacrificing for others. And if you're sacrificing for others, then you are remaining in him. The word abide is to remain. If you're anything like me, man, like I get, I get so sidetracked sometimes with, with my life and all my responsibilities I have to get. But if I am remaining, if I'm abiding in him, Something that's so evident, I know in my heart, I know in my mind, is when I'm willing, willing and able to be sacrificing my own desires, my own will for others. And it's the times when I'm not. It's the times when I'm selfish, I'm arrogant, when I think that I deserve something, that I know I'm not abiding in him. It's so powerful if we want to know what love is, if we want to experience what love is, it's pretty simple. Not only God is love, but God demonstrated his love and that he allows us to share in this love by demonstrating it to others. It's also a calling for us to receive, to sacrifice, to give to others lovingly. As, as I drove in tonight, there's all the junior high kids getting, getting back from Hume Lake. You guys already heard me talk about how awesome Hume Lake is. Uh, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and so I'll, I'll always remember that feeling of, of coming back to church. Uh, they're blaring the, the, the band that was playing up there, I'm sure, and they're all have, having so, such a good time. Uh, they're in this vibe, this feeling of this, this what I call the camp high. Where you just you just been spending time with with all your fellow Christians and and it just everything feels awesome and so you guys are just praying like your mom and dad are like how was it like, it was freaking so cool but here's the thing I also know that if it's not tonight maybe it will be tomorrow or next week those same kids a feeling that they have is gonna is gonna wane it's gonna go away and and they're gonna get caught up in life. And it's not, it's not going to be about how, how good they feel, that mountaintop experience of it. It's not going to be about that feeling that they have. 
the reality of school, of family, of, of what's going on in their life hits them. And it's in those moments that we have this opportunity. Are we going to make this life about ourselves? About what's going to make me feel better? Or am I going to make it about others? I think that that's so countercultural to where we currently are. And there's a lot of, of really great things that, that seem flowery and seem really great that make it seem like it's about others, but it's really about ourselves. It's not really until we get into this agape love that we truly understand what love is. Picking up in verse 17. By this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I want that to sit with you for a minute. As I was letting that scripture wash over me, man, it felt so convicted. Man, I let fear control my thoughts. I I let fear hinder what I have with God, what I have with my wife, what I have in my relationships. Because I'm afraid of things like money. Something so frivolous, so fleeting. And and I, I can also acknowledge it's impossible to both be thinking about others and loving others, to be in that, in, that, in that space with God where I am abiding in him, I'm thinking about others. It's literally impossible to be full of God and what he's doing in my life to the point where I'm actually sacrificing whatever I want and, and doing something for others and at the same time, be fearful. And, and, and not only John, but but God understands us about the human nature. We can't hold those things at the same time. We have to have one or the other. You cannot be fully satisfied and thinking about others and sacrificing for others and at the same time being worried and be afraid of what's going to happen to you. And what John is saying is, hey, look, this, this love is so powerful And one of these red flags that you should, in your own life, be able to acknowledge is, are you afraid? Because if you have fear in your life, then you still have some things to work out. Because it's not about being afraid. Because God casts out fear. Love casts out fear. And lastly, verse 19 We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I think that this is kind of the final nail in the coffin as we understand this question of what is love. The answer is God. Okay, well, what does that actually mean? God sacrificed, God demonstrated what love is by sacrificing himself 
literally on the cross so that we can have life in him. And if you want to take part in this life with him, he's calling you to, the, to do the same. And for you, it's probably not going to be hanging on a cross. That's not guaranteed. For you, it's going to be sacrificially loving others around you. Because that's what organically comes out when you are a true believer. The, the, the proof is in the pudding. You're not afraid. And you're actually loving those neighbors. You're loving your, your, your brothers, your sisters. You're loving those people that annoy you. You're loving your coworkers. You're loving that person that you want to hate. But because God literally sacrificed himself, you know that you have to love that person and that God's going to work in you so that you can love that person. Amen? As we were thinking through this this sermon, as I was thinking through this sermon, you know, the, the scripture Colossians 2, verse 8 came to my mind, and it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the eternal spirit, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And I think that we have this option. And, and it's pretty simple. We can choose to make this life about ourselves. And there's, there's something to be said there. If we're not believers, you know that brotherly love and that eros love can feel good for a little bit. But it's very fleeting. But we can also step into this relationship with God. And make this love that we truly understand not about ourselves but about others. So if we're trying to actually define what is love, the answer, and I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's I, this is my fear. I don't want you guys to be taken captive by what the world wants to define love as. I want us to be taken captive by what the word says love is. Man, this is powerful. This is amazing. This is beautiful stuff. And it's not too hard. It just is convicting. And if you're here tonight and you're like, man, but how is that even possible? Like, how do I do that? I think you start tonight. You start tomorrow when you go back to work. You start, you start this week when you have time with your family or your friends, that person you, might, you may or may not like. The call is pretty simple. God died so that you can have life. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to make this life about yourself? Or are you going to make this life about others? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this night. I pray that as we bring two more songs before you, Lord, that they would be worship to you. Lord, it wouldn't be about us. It would be about you. Lord, I thank you for the rich blessings that you bestow upon upon me and upon this group. Lord, I pray that you would go before us, guide us, direct us, lead us closer to you. We love you. Amen.